Well, good morning. Do please keep that passage open in front of you. John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. This is the last of our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, which we read together moments ago. And we've reached the very last line where we declared together, I believe, in the life everlasting. I do hope you've enjoyed the sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. Certainly made a difference to me when I read it out, the the background to what I'm saying, the actual doctrine and theology behind these statements that we make each week uh, has been very helpful, in many ways life-changing. And let's pray together that the same will be true of this morning. Dear Lord, as we come to your word this morning, please open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, open our hearts to receive you, And we ask that we will leave this place this morning changed in a better way for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So the Apostles' Creed, I believe in many things, and as I say today, the life everlasting. We're going to use this dialogue between Jesus and Martha to help us understand a bit about what it means to say, I believe in the life everlasting. Now, it's very important with any passage of scripture to put it into context. And we're going to do that on three levels. I don't know if any of you have played with Google Earth on your computers, this wonderful bit of software that allows you to have a satellite image of the, of the Earth and then to zoom in on your own home or the place of work. We're going to do the reverse. We're going to start off and zoom out. And we're going to see more and more of the context of this dialogue between two people and how it fits into... Firstly, chapter 11 of John's Gospel. Then, how does it fit into John's Gospel as a whole? And then the ultimate context, how does it fit into the Bible as a whole? So, the local context, chapter 11. If you just flick back one page to page 1017, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. So that's the opening statement of that chapter. Lazarus is ill. He is therefore alive. Immediately prior to our reading this morning, if you just flick over again now to 1018, at the very top of the page, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So immediately preceding our passage, Lazarus is now dead. And then if we look to the end of the chapter, it's chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. It's not quite the very end of the chapter, it's on that same page. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. So Lazarus finishes the chapter alive again. So the immediate context of this conversation between Jesus and Martha is life and death and life again. Now, what about gospel context? Well, this miracle begins the last major section of John's gospel. That's chapters 11 through to 21. And that section culminates in the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. So again, the gospel context is life, death, and life again. Now we're going to zoom out and look at the entire biblical context And we're going to project some verses up on the screen to save you having to thumb through the whole Bible, because we are going from Genesis to Revelation in about two minutes. So first, we jump back to Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God breathed his life into mankind. That's the beginning of creation of mankind, life. But, chapter 3, verse 22. This is after mankind has chosen to ignore God's word and God's instruction. And the consequence of that is the curse on creation. And part of that curse is death. The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Man must not be allowed to live forever. So death comes into the world. And now we jump to the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4. So the very beginning of the Bible, we had life, and then death came into the world. Now we jump to the very end of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse... Sorry, Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Now that's a quote from Isaiah. So in the Old Testament, they were already looking forward to this. There will be no more death. So something must change. We had life, then death came into the world, and now we have life again. Chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. Do you see the curse is reversed, it's abolished. Something has happened to change the cursed state that creation is under. And finally, chapter 22, verses 13 and 14. We're very near the end of the Bible now. This is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega. They are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Do you remember back in Genesis, God said they must not be allowed to reach out and eat from the tree of life and live forever. At the end of the Bible, they may have the right to the tree of life. Something happens in the biblical story that changes us from life and death to life again. Thank you, Ursula, for projecting those. So the whole biblical context is the same as the local context. Life, death, life again. And our passage, Jesus and Martha, sits in this context. So, I don't know if there are any Liverpool supporters amongst us this morning, but Bill Shankly was wrong. He said, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I can assure them it is much more serious than that. Wrong. Nothing is more serious than life and death. Death is God's judgment on rebellion against him. It causes the greatest distress to mankind. It is mankind's greatest problem. And it is the great sweeping theme of scripture and of human history from the beginning to the end. So with that great context... Let's now look at this dialogue on page 1018 between Jesus and Martha. Hugh read for us from verses 17 to 27. So Jesus arrives in Bethany and Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha, we're told, goes out to meet Jesus. 
And the opening of the dialogue is verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you see how Martha recognises the power that Jesus has to preserve life? But this limits Jesus. He didn't need to be there. John chapter 4, we've already met the official's son, whom Jesus heals, without actually travelling to be with the person who is ill. So it's recognising Jesus' power to preserve life, but it's limiting that power. Verse 22, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So again, Martha's great statement of faith. She recognises Jesus' special relationship with his father. Jesus speaks first in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. And Martha replies again, a statement of faith. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. A true statement of belief. It's actually, it's interesting, the Jewish belief about resurrection split into two factions. It's a group called the Sadducees, who did not believe in bodily resurrection. And there's a children's song I used to sing at Greenbelt that says, that's why they are sad, you see. There we go. Now we're grown up. We don't need to make such jokes. But the Pharisees, the Pharisaical position was that there will be a general resurrection on the last day, in the future, on the day of judgment. And that's where Martha is positioning herself with that statement of belief. He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And we too, Christians, we also look forward to that day. We look forward to it now with certainty, bodily resurrection, because of Easter and Jesus himself rising again. Everything Martha has said is true. But there is more for her to grasp, and therefore more for us to grasp. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha is looking forward to a future hope. Jesus pulls her right back into the present, the here and now. There's no need to wait. It doesn't need to be a future hope. It's here. It's now. It's me. Jesus identifying himself uniquely with resurrection and life. Resurrection life. The indestructible life of the deathless God himself. You can have it now, Jesus is saying. We can imagine Martha wondering, how? How can I have this resurrection life now? Well, Jesus goes on, verse 25 and 26. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Yes, we face physical death. Remember the context. Lazarus, at this time, is dead. Yes, we face physical death. But we will live if we believe in him. There is resurrection promise. And he goes on, verse 26. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is the promise of everlasting life. Physical death and bodily resurrection are in the future for all of us. But everlasting life, no more death, no longer any curse, Jesus offers this now by believing in him. That's how the dialogue ends. Jesus says to Martha, 
Do you believe this? And she replies, yes, Lord. So let's finish off by thinking about our response to this. Martha says, yes, Lord. What do we say? Well, Jesus tells us, if we live by believing in him, we will never die. We can have everlasting life. How can we be sure? Well, Grandpa Joe tells Charlie that Mr. Willy Wonka is the most amazing, the most fantastic, the most extraordinary chocolate maker the world has ever seen. Quite a big claim. Here is Willy Wonka in his inventing room. I don't know if you remember the book or if you've seen the film, but Mr. Wonka himself had suddenly become even more excited than usual. Anyone could see this was the room he loved best of all. He ran over to another machine, a small, shiny affair that kept going fut, 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 fut. And every time it went fut, a large green marble dropped out of it into a basket on the floor. At least it looked like a marble. Everlasting gobstoppers, cried Mr. Wonka proudly. They're completely new. I'm inventing them for children who are given very little pocket money. You can put an everlasting gobstopper in your mouth and you can suck it and suck it and suck it and suck it and it will never get any smaller. It's like gum, cried Violet Beauregard. It is not like gum, Mr. Wonka said. Gum is for chewing. If you tried to chew one of these gobstoppers here, you'd break your teeth off. And they never get any smaller. They never disappear. Never! At least I don't think they do. See the problem Mr. Wonka has got? He's trapped in time. He doesn't know they're never going to disappear. The only way to know that for sure would be to suck one forever and establish that it didn't disappear. He's trapped in time. He cannot be sure. Contrast this with Jesus' authority. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, demonstrating his power over death. Jesus himself dies and rises again. In that, he defeats death. Remember that statement from Revelation where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is not trapped in time. He knows what has happened. He knows what will happen. Jesus, therefore, does have the authority to tell us this truth. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This means, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we are already living the everlasting life. We are already living it, here and now. So when we stand and declare each week, I believe in the life everlasting, it's a statement of the here and now, not of a future hope. So our only response to this Lord Jesus is surely to stand each week and declare with a crescendo. It's the last line of the creed. It's tempting to be drifting off by this point, to already be thinking about the next thing we're going to do. Oh, I'll put it down. I'm about to sit down. We're going to pray next. The mind's beginning to wander. No, raised with a crescendo to this last line. It's a statement of the here and the now. I believe in the life everlasting. Amen.